Good morning, everyone. I'll pretend I'm hearing good morning or something out there from whatever, whatever the cloud is and that kind of as we do this. Um, Rick, you kind of stole my thunder earlier because in a minor, minor way, because I was thinking about needing a haircut as well. And I'm really impressed he had the um, courage to show the picture circa 1979. And I was thrilled. I even asked Evie this week, can we find my senior yearbook from also 1979 uh, yearbook picture? And I was glad we couldn't find it anywhere. As hair was down to about here and I had a mustache, I'm not sure, I think I was always compensating for being five foot three, so I wanted to look tough. It didn't work, it was just a bad picture and I'm glad I lost it at this point in time. And I'm really nervous that if this goes on much longer, I think I'm nervous about two things. One, that my hair will look like David Cassidy from the Partridge family. Now only some of you know, see I'm seeing everybody's age, see, Lisa knows that's, we got, we got that, or, or two, if I move back into the 90s, I'm really scared I'm going to end up with a mullet. You know, what if it grows in the back and it doesn't grow up front? That will really freak me out. So right now we're doing okay uh, with this. We'll see how long this goes. The other areas, I'm uh, so glad that Rick gave the shout out to Evie and what she is sending out. We were talking about kind of where I'm going direction of ser the sermons for the next few weeks. And my Spruce Creek folks, I promise you, we will, Lord willing, get back to the book of Romans. So we will tackle that at some point in time. I've not gotten rid of all my books and studies and commentaries on that. But as I was thinking about kind of these unprecedented times where God has it, and recognize what our doctrine says. Our doctrine says we're here because God has us here. You know, I think back to the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 29, when the Old Testament saints, the Christians of the Old Testament, were in exile. And Jeremiah writes a letter to the, exi to the exiles there, and he says, the exile to which I have sent you. So let's make, you know, no doubt about it, we're here because God has put us here for all sorts of, and he's here, he goes with us, which is amazing. He actually enters into this with us, but he goes with us. And it made me think we've got this rich doctrine, rich teaching. The gospel is so rich. It's so beautiful. How do we get it from our heads to our hearts? How do we begin to apply it and appropriate it into our lives? How do we, in a sense, take the promises of God, massage the promises of the gospel more deeply into our lives? And the answer is one that I don't always want to hear because it's hard work. But the answer is prayer. We can know the word, but to actually do what Psalm 1 says, to be the kind of person who delights in the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, the story of God, the gospel, who delights in that story and who meditates it on it day and night only happens through prayer. And so I was um, thinking about what we would talk about for these next several weeks, and we're going to talk about the topic of prayer and prayer as the way to cultivate intimacy with God. And I was so thrilled when I saw what Evie found out with the hand illustration teaching. I think it's a great visual not only for kids and children, but for all of us as well, teaching us to praise God, to exalt him in prayer, to confess our sins. Think about this. We do this hand illustration every week in our liturgy and worship. We praise God. We confess our sins. We give thanks to him in the assurance of pardon. We pray 
for ourselves and we intercede on behalf of others. And so I really hope and pray that we take this seriously. Then I was thinking about Holy Week and I was thinking about as we go through various passages leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, just how much the focus is on his humanity and how he entrusted himself as This is the part of the gospel that Tim Keller always likes to say, he's living the life we should have lived. I wonder sometimes how often we pay attention to that. And that how did Jesus move forward trusting the grace of his father? How did he move forward in trusting himself to God? He did it through prayer. So if we think to ourselves of the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing in prayer when he says, may this cup, Father, pass from me, isn't he there praying? Lord, I wish, my desire, take this, you know, my desire is really simple. Oh, Lord, remove this virus from us. Let's get back to normal. I'm ready to go play golf or do something. I know, Rick, you're not a fan of golf, but I love golf. I'm ready to do it. And so, you know, that's my prayer. I struggle with patience, and I struggle with waiting. That's why we need to take the rich doctrine, the truth of the gospel, and have it penetrate our hearts through prayer, because that is what Jesus did. And this morning, what we're going to do is, what was the prayer book of the Old Testament saints? It was the Psalms. And so we're going to look at a psalm each week, and this morning, this morning we are going to start with one of the most familiar psalms, one many of us have memorized. We're going to start with the 23rd psalm. And we're basically going to look at how can we massage the truths, the reality of that psalm into our soul. How does that teach us how to pray and how to cultivate intimacy with God? Before we do so, before we enter into the text, I would ask from wherever you're watching, if you would bow with me and join with me as we pray, and ask the Spirit to take his word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, may even as we pray, we entrust ourselves to your grace, ask that you have mercy upon us, ask that you warm our cold hearts, that you take these valley of dry bones and breathe life by your Spirit, into us, that you would warm us to the truths of the gospel. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would be moving mightily in our lives, opening our minds, softening our hearts, teaching us what we need to know both individually and corporately. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, friends, the text of Psalm 23. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, almost everyone has heard of the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But do we understand what they mean? Do we really understand the significance of what it means for our everyday life? You know, this is one of the most personal and pastoral images or metaphors for describing our relationship 
to the Lord. In its original context, the title of the psalm informs us of this, it was written by David. So we see that the Lord was David's shepherd. But of course, as we move on, we also see how this is fulfilled both in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, how God the Father was his shepherd as he journeyed, as he walked through life, living the life we should have lived. And how, for all of us as well, who are united to Jesus by faith, how Jesus' story is our story and how Jesus is our shepherd. As Rick read earlier in our service, in John chapter 10, Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. What do we learn? What does this text teach us about cultivating intimacy with God through the Lord being our shepherd in prayer? We're going to look at three things. Three things that this psalm teaches us. Teaches us the reality of our own vulnerability. And it's a reality, if we're going to grow in intimacy with God, it's a reality we must learn to embrace. The promise of intimacy that is promised by God that we must learn to cultivate. And finally, the story of victory that we learn to anticipate. And the story that must form us and shape us. And that we Massage into our souls specifically through prayer. The reality of our vulnerability, the promise of intimacy, and the story of victory. First of all, we need to learn the reality of our vulnerability. And years ago, I heard of this man who was a shepherd, or I heard it somewhere, read it somewhere. Who knows? After 30 years in pastoral ministry, I have no idea. I just know what's my own and what's not my own, and this is not my own, so I'm just going to share this with you all. But there was a man by the name of Douglas McMillan who happened to be a shepherd for years, and then he became a minister. And he tells a number of stories uh, from his days being a shepherd and then a minister, and he talks about one time he was on a train with a friend of his who was a shepherd. So you have these two shepherds, one now a minister, and they're on a train together. And three weeks before, the friend of Douglas McMillan's had sold a number of his lambs. And as they were going past, or as the train was pulling out slowly out of the station, a flock of sheep that was not too far away, but actually a bit of a distance away, was up on the surrounding hill. And even though it was some distance away, the shepherd looked out and he said to Doug, look, four of those are my sheep in there. Now, there's a whole flock of sheep, and he's picking out the four of them. And Doug McMillan did not say to him, huh, sure, but he knew. You know why he knew? Because shepherds know their sheep. Jesus says, I know my own, and my own know me. And that is an intimate word. Doesn't mean he's heard of you. It means he notices you. He's chosen you. He knows you. He looks upon you. He's your shepherd. See, the shepherd was looking out and he says he knows him. I'd have to look at him from on a hill and I have to know if I'm going to protect them from wolves or other wild animals. If I'm going to protect them from themselves. And you know why this is so important? You know what this teaches us? It teaches us that fundamentally we're sheep. Now, before you get to thinking, isn't that cute? I like that. We're all sheep. Bah, aren't we just adorable? Okay, time out now for a second. 
It's not necessarily a compliment. Do you understand that sheep are the most helpless, stupid, dumb animals on the planet? Okay, sheep are not, there's a reason they wander away. They don't travel necessarily in an orderly fashion. They lose their direction. It is because they are the most helpless, unself-sufficient, vulnerable of all animals. And so when the text tells us the Lord is my shepherd, what is it saying? It is saying we are sheep. What is it saying about us? It is saying that we are helpless, bankrupt, unself-sufficient, out-of-control, vulnerable creatures, whether we like it or not, whether we try to hide it or not. The reality is that we are vulnerable. Now, we do an awful lot to fight it, to avoid our vulnerability, to make ourselves look and appear and project an image that we're smarter and sharper and more together than we could imagine. But the Lord is my shepherd means that we are by definition sheep. And by definition, being sheep, being human, means that we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to the elements. We're vulnerable to wolves. We're vulnerable even to ourselves. See, do we recognize also what else that means? It means that the Lord, as our shepherd, constantly, without wavering, Psalm 121, he never slumbers, nor does he sleep. He doesn't take a nap. You know why? Because his eye is always upon us as our shepherd. All the time, he knows you. He's watching you. He's caring for you. And he's not doing so rebuking you or being disappointed in you or condemning you. He is doing so knowing our sheepness, knowing our vulnerability, and being a God who is full of compassion and mercy to our humanity. So let me ask you this question. Why do we fight so much our sheepness? Why do we fight so much our vulnerability? Why do we fight so much our being out of control? Why is it that we take control? Well, I f think fundamentally we take control because we are committed to being our own shepherd determining our own fate or happiness, being the masters of our own life. And so maybe the first step of cultivating intimacy with God as we embrace our vulnerability, as we recognize it's a reality, is repenting of our denial of our sheepness. There's a writer who put it very well. And it's a fairly lengthy quote, so bear with me a little bit. He says, we tend to think of vulnerability as something we experience only at particular times or occasions, kind of like <gasps> we're in the middle of a coronavirus, we're vulnerable, it's in our face. He says, we sense it when we're criticized, when we're ill, when we've been fired from a job, when we have a difficult conversation with someone we perceive has more power than we do, when we have to speak in front of an audience, he says, that is not a totally inaccurate description of what it means to feel vulnerable, but it's not complete. He says, in reality, vulnerability is not something we choose, listen carefully, not something we choose or that is true only in a given moment, while the rest of the time it is not. 
Rather, vulnerability is something we are. We are vulnerable because we live on this side of heaven and this side of the Garden of Eden. We were built for Eden, we were built for heaven, and we live on this side of it. That makes us vulnerable. He says, this is why we wear clothes, live in houses, obey speed limits, have security systems. He says, so much of what we do in life is designed, among other things, to protect us from the fact that we are vulnerable at all times. To be human is to be vulnerable. He says, vulnerability is not a question of if, but rather to what degree. He says, this does not imply that we have no choices of being more openly so, but it is an illusion to believe that we are not vulnerable. It is something we can hide, but not that we can eliminate. The question then is not if we are or will be vulnerable, but rather how and when we enter into it consciously and intentionally for the sake of creating a world of goodness and beauty. One of the reasons, practically speaking, we don't experience intimacy with God and others is our denial of vulnerability. We are so much projecting an image of control that especially in our relationship with God, that we create a barrier or distance between us and God. And so the first point in recognizing the Lord is my shepherd is to tear that wall down, to tear that barrier down, to recognize the Lord especially knows your sheepness and enters it into he's your shepherd. Don't be afraid of your vulnerability. Embrace it. Look with me now at the promise of intimacy in verses 2 and 3 where we see these verses from a poetic standpoint. They consist of what's called four kola, four different lines of Hebrew poetry, each one describing something the shepherd does to provide for his sheep. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want you to notice something here. Who is the actor and who is the acted upon in each one of these statements? In each one of these, God is the divine actor and we are doing nothing. We are being acted upon. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, even when I want to be running away and avoiding God. That's the point of my impatience, of my not waiting, of my moodiness, of my irritability, of my insensitivity. All of these things are avoiding. But he brings me back and makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Which, what an image that is. Because recognizing the Hebrew mindset, waters were a picture of turmoil and chaos. They were a picture of the darkness and the chaotic forces of life. And yet, look at what happens. God, the actor, leads us beside still waters. And in doing so, he's restoring our soul and he's leading us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd here is giving his sheep abundant provision for the journey ahead. The image of beauty and calm is painted wonderfully by the poet as he cultivates closeness and communion and intimacy 
with his shepherd. What a wonderful picture of rest that, again, think of Jesus as your good shepherd. It's the picture of rest Jesus invites us to. It's why we use it often as a call to worship when we say, come to me, Jesus invites us, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Do we not need this now? Are we not tired now? Are we not stressed now? Listen to the invitation of Jesus to come to him and the promise of rest. This is what this psalm is pointing to. This is the beauty, the still waters, the restoration of soul. This is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And see, the rest we need is so much more than mere physical. Yes, we need physical rest. You know, we need rest. I'm going to rest tonight. I've worked hard this week and stuff. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to watch the Michael Jordan documentary. There's no sports on TV, so I'm going through a fasting of sports, let's say. I'm looking forward to that. So that's going to give me physical rest. But you know what? The rest we need, the restoration of soul, the learning from Jesus is so much deeper. We need to learn to cultivate intimacy. What we need to learn is the rest, the spiritual rest, the internal rest that he's providing for us. See, I don't know about you, but I know my mind, my heart, they're always racing. I am still plagued by the incessant need to perform, to prove myself, to validate myself. I am constantly putting pressure on myself. Anybody else do that, or am I kind of by myself with that? Am I the only one who's constantly saying, I better do better, I better work harder, I better be better, I better, you know, all these things? See, we're always so busy trying to prove and validate ourselves that we never stop, we never take time. Let me just give you these diagnostic questions, so to speak. Do you ever take time off work? Do you ever ask yourself the question, could I be wrong here? You ever allow yourself to be wrong? Vulnerable and known to others. We've talked about that this morning. We listen to and seek to understand others. Or are you always having to get in the last word when others are speaking? Are you secretly not really focusing on them, not really listening to them, not trying to understand them, but you're thinking of what you will say next to show how smart you are? Do you know why we do all those things? We do all those things to prove and validate ourselves because Jesus being our shepherd is not enough. And we wonder why there's no intimacy, no depth of communion and union between us and God and us and others. Why there's still division, a lack of reconciliation between us and others. And then finally in verse 3, the fourth cola he says is he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that promise, we haven't looked at verse 4 yet, but that promise, these paths of righteousness also include paths of suffering. Paths of righteousness does not exclude suffering from the right paths that our shepherd takes us through. And the only way to get through suffering is to cultivate intimacy with our shepherd who leads the way. The only way to get through it. See, the only way it is only to the degree that we go deep in the gospel. And the only way we go deep in the gospel is through prayer. 
See, it's one thing to look at the gospel realities and the gospel promises, and we have to do that. Without truth, you're not going to do it. If you don't pray truth, you're not praying anything into your soul, but you've got to take the truth and apply it to your soul, and the only way to do that is through prayer. It is only to the degree that you go deep in the gospel through prayer that you are able to go through suffering. And that leads us to our final point. As Jesus leads us through these paths of righteousness for his name's sake, including these paths of suffering, as we are praying more deeply in the gospel, more profoundly, more intimately in the gospel, embracing our vulnerability, embracing these promises of intimacy, friends, you have to keep the story of victory in mind. You absolutely have to. Look at the rest of the song, the rest of the poem, picking up in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, and I've read this psalm. I've been a Christian now for 40 years, and I love the first stanza of the psalm. Sounds real nice, doesn't it? Green pastures, quiet waters, restoring my soul. I like that. Can't we skip verse 4? Shadows of death, valleys, darkness, distress. What gets us through? What will get you through even your deepest darkness, even death itself? You are with me. Your presence, your rod, your staff, your intimacy, union with God. Again, this is where outlines, I'm afraid, kind of stink because there's still a whole lot of need to cultivate intimacy. But I want to show you something else. My former Old Testament professor, Tremper Longman, in his book on the Psalms, shows us how in verses 5 and 6, the second half of the poem, the metaphor, the focus switches or shifts its focus from kind of the image of a shepherd to the image of a host. The shepherd metaphor to the host metaphor. The host can still be a shepherd, but he treats the psalmist here like an honored guest. Look at the imagery. And again, let, this is where, and I, I know I've been saying this a lot late, lately, we need to have a conversion. We need to have a conversion of our imagination and take seriously the metaphors, the images that the scriptures give us for describing our relationship with God. Because here he says he prepares a table before us. So what's happening here? The shepherd is now the host of this giant feast, this tremendous meal where we, his people, are his honored guests. A table means food. Again, intimacy and relationship and fellowship. There's a meal. Now look at what else. The table is prepared in the presence of our enemies. That means victory. In the presence of our enemies, our enemies of sin and hell and death and law and all this, God, through Jesus Christ, has triumphed, and now we are at a victory feast where we are the honored guest through the victory that he himself has won. The tables have been turned. The situation has been reversed. 
The shame that has, not, has tried to destroy us, why we refuse to be vulnerable, has been smitten, has been destroyed. And the greatest enemy, death itself. What did we learn last week when we looked at 1 Corinthians 15? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, how much do we let this story shape us? How much do we anticipate? So I want to ask you, in your prayer life, are you praying this story deeply into your soul? How much do our lives individually and corporately reflect that this is your future? That this is more of a guarantee than when, when do we worship next together? When can we go shopping again? When can we go outside again? This is our future and our guarantee. Do we live in the presence of our enemies like the victory has already been won? And how is it accomplished? How can we? I love the fact. Jim and I, I promise, didn't talk beforehand. But how appropriate was it that in his prelude, he sang so beautifully for us, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. See, how can we know this is our future? Because this is assurance that we have from Jesus. Douglas Green points out wonderfully that this is Jesus' story as Messiah. And as such, this is the story of the gospel, the story of redemption. He says, God the Father is Jesus' shepherd, providing richly and wonderfully for him. That Jesus literally passes for us through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet for Jesus, the shadow is gone. Where for us, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus goes through death. It is death that he goes through in our place. For us, what is a cup that overflows with victory banquet is for him a cup of the Lord's wrath and the Lord's justice that he takes and that he drinks in our place. And see, it is, of course, only because Jesus goes through that for us that he comes out in the end in his resurrection, why our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his soul is ultimately restored in the resurrection, and that he has finished the journey, the pilgrimage, all the way to the temple, the house of the Lord in which he dwells forever. And what is waiting for us, a banquet, where not only are we the honored guests, but the banquet the New Testament depicts is a wedding banquet where we are actually the bride of Jesus Christ. That the story of creation and redemption is the story of God the Father covenanting and providing a bride for his son. And you and I who are in Christ are that bride. We are not only the honored guests, but we are the bride. We go from bare necessities to a feast, a party, a banquet. Friends, do you, do I live in anticipation of this? Does this define us, that this is what, this is our story, this is our song, praising our Savior all the day long. This is the victory song, this is the victory story, and this is what we need to learn to pray. I don't know about you, I need to learn to open my heart to vulnerability, to the promises of intimacy and to the story rather than living in the fear and the anxiety and the impatience that constantly weigh my soul down. How about you? Can we enter into this journey together 
We need each other. We need to please let us not have this virus, this pandemic, this crisis we're in. Let's not allow it to have us close our hearts to God and to one another. Let's pray. Father, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And yet, I feel like I want all over the place. I want for significance. I want for control. I want for satisfaction. I want for security. I'm human. I'm vulnerable. I'm out of control. May I, in the midst of all my wants, take them and run towards you, Lord Jesus, my shepherd, who walked through the valley of the shadow of death and the shadow was removed, who went through death for me in my place, in our place, so that we together could be your bride. Oh Lord, teach us to cultivate in prayer these wondrous truths of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.